Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Reconciling Grace. This is actually going to be part two of a discussion that we started last time on the prosperity gospel. My name is Pete Vecchi. I'm one of the associate pastors for West Carrollton Church of the Nazarene. Joining us today are Vicki Cundiff, who is one of the associate pastors for Countryside Church of the Nazarene in Lebanon, Ohio, and Mick Wells. Mick has been kind of leading our discussion about the prosperity gospel. So Mick, I'm going to just let you pick up kind of where we left off last time. We've been talking about, of course, the prosperity gospel, which I mentioned last time. I don't even consider a gospel, but nonetheless, it is a movement across Christendom. And I think it really takes us in the wrong direction, takes anybody who listens to it in the wrong direction. You have to be very careful because it has uh, appeal to our basic interest in getting things and serving ourselves and looking and accumulating more and more. There's oftentimes a focus of prosperity gospel preachers specifically on money, emphasis on becoming rich and having all kinds of wonderful things like jet airplanes and multi-million dollar houses and bank accounts and things like that. We looked at scriptures last week which spoke to how the Bible looked at the word prosperity, what God intended by prosperity, and to kind of set our gyros for looking at this, I want to reaffirm that there are significant differences between the true gospel and the prosperity gospel. A true gospel, the efforts, the focus is on Jesus Christ. The prosperity gospel is self-centered. If I were to stop talking about those differences, I think all other differences would be subsets of that. The person who follows the prosperity gospel, likes what they hear. You know, the scripture even talks about that in the latter days there are going to be people gathering around them, people who say what their itching ears want to hear. It sounds good when somebody gets up and says, just have faith, and, and uh, by doing so, you can demand of God all these riches and material things. But there's even a flip side, which makes it even more dangerous, in that people who believe these things and don't get rich and don't get fancy cars and bank accounts and jet airplanes and private airfields, they think they're told if they don't get them, they don't have enough faith. And, and that's a terrible thing. Uh, for First of all, putting our focus on things, we're, we're basically saying, God, here's what you should do for me, almost in a commanding sense, not, Lord, thank you for what you've given me. How do you want me to use these things to further your cause and your kingdom? And another thing, the true gospel has us focused on things that are eternal. It's based on things that are eternal, where the prosperity gospel is focused on things that are temporal. And uh, a scripture comes to mind from 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18. I love this verse. It says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, 
such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Now, if I were to say, give examples of things that were perishable, you, and I ask you what for examples, you probably wouldn't come up with silver or gold. No, you I, know? Think, I think about all the food that sometimes goes bad when we don't eat it soon enough and things like that. But the fact that the Bible considers gold and silver perishables where we would consider that's where we put our money in times of uh, financial problems, depressions and recessions, it's almost counterintuitive. But nonetheless, people who are interested in using God to further their bank accounts and their possessions, uh, that's focused on temporal. Well, the true gospel appeals to the spirit. Prosperity gospel appeals to the flesh. True gospel you give to please God. Prosperity gospel you give to receive uh, from God. And the true gospel cleans people. The prosperity gospel arguably corrupts people. It is totally mis misdirected. I want to talk in this program a little bit about prosperity gospel by other names. Have either of you ever heard of uh, something called Name It and Claim It? Oh, yeah. Yes, I have. Yeah. And uh, that promotes self-centeredness, doesn't it? It promotes greed it, it appeals to a, a sinful side of us, which says you can never get enough. You never, you're never had enough, have enough. And if you only have faith, you can get anything you want, in, including wealth. And Pete, you shared a scripture last week, which I think bears repeating, on what uh, our attitude should be toward money. Right. I think that uh, I started out by saying this is the most quoted scripture verse that isn't in the Bible. So let me start with the one that isn't in the Bible. What is not in the Bible is saying that money is the root of all evil. No, what is in the Bible in 1 Timothy 6.10 is this, for the love of money is a root of all kind of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Yeah, I think that's uh, an extremely important warning. You can not only go overboard with your love of money, but in doing so, wander away from the faith. If that doesn't uh, scare you a little bit, I don't know what would, because uh, it's our faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for us uh, that will get us into eternity with him. I want to talk a little bit about another thing associated with prosperity gospel. It's called seed faith or seed faith giving. It's, a, it's an offering that prosperity gospel preachers say you should give uh, in faith that God will multiply it and return it to the giver. And it, it sounds like a sales pitch from some financial institution. Is That's the approach. I think it's altogether unfounded and altogether wrong. And uh, I recall years ago attending a meeting where somebody says, you give 10 bucks, God has assured me that he is going to return to you tenfold, a hundred, hundred dollars for every 10 uh, that you give. And um, Vicki, you had something you wanted to share in connection with this subject of seed faith. Yeah, they use um, 
Luke 6.38 to promote the prosperity gospel. And uh, without taking it uh, into consideration that there were verses before and after this verse, which we have to be careful about in anything. But the scripture in 6.38 says, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And that really takes it out of context because this passage of scripture is not talking about money whatsoever. So it does not promote financial giving. So we're going to back up a little bit and read 6, 36 through 42. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And then the next thing, he, Jesus uh, speaks a parable to them to illustrate the point that he was just making. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck that is in your take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now, I think we can see there that he's not talking about finances whatsoever. So they're pulling this scripture out when what Jesus is trying to say here is by the same measure you use, you want to be forgiven, then you forgive others. You don't want to be judged and you don't want to be condemned, then don't condemn and don't judge others. Because by the measure you use, it's going to be used back to you. So it's taken completely out of context. Out of context. And, you know, I heard one heard of one fellow that said that prosperity gospel teachers often take a scripture and (laughs) they didn't say misconstrue or twist. They said they torture it into (laughs) meaning what they're trying to say. And there's another one that's misused that uh, is often cited by prosperity gospel preachers. They often say, God wants to bless you with a miracle. They say, Jesus is bigger than your debt. But they misuse verses in support of that, such as Mark chapter 4 and verse 8, and where it talks about the parable of the sower. It says, still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100 times. But you see, when you peel it back, as you just did with the scripture that you read, Vicki, the seed in the scripture is not talking about dollars. It's not talking about legal tender. When the sower goes out and sows the seed, the seed is the word of God. So it's not, it's not legitimate to say, you give $10, I'll give, God will return 1000 to you guaranteed because of it's a seed faith in accordance with his word. We're talking about God honoring his word when we spread it like a sower sows the seed. Right, and that's um, so important. I I just want to stress this because looking at the scripture in context is so important. We don't want to what is called, we don't want to cherry pick this verse and that verse. And in fact, in the verses that you just talked about, Mick, Jesus went on to explain that parable to his disciples and specifically said 
that the seed is the Word of God. Yes, there's no fuzz on that. Well, I'd like to uh, mention in connection with seed faith giving, let's remember that the apostles uh, were not wealthy men. They did not focus their ministry on this type of pitch of giving money to get money. Um, the apostles certainly gave to others even though they were not wealthy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15, Paul writes, I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. But based on the doctrine of seed faith offerings, Paul should have been a rich man by giving everything he had. But here's what the word says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10 through 11. It says, yet to this very hour we go hungry. Paul's talking about he and his, his associates. We go hungry and thirsty, we're in rags, we're brutally treated, we're homeless, and we work hard with our hands. That does not sound like health and wealth blessing uh, to me. The apostles materially were very poor, and yet they were spiritually blessed by the Lord. I believe so, and I think that there are some people out there, and I think you're going to be getting to this after our break, Mick, who are made to feel guilty like they don't have enough faith. So if we go with that idea, then these apostles seem to have not had enough faith, and that just goes contrary to everything that we know. Absolutely. But we do need to take a break now for our sponsor, and we will be right back with the second half of today's episode of Reconciling Grace. Welcome back to Reconciling Grace. Our program today is actually the second part of a discussion on the prosperity gospel. And the prosperity gospel we have some issues with. We're trying to point us all to what the Bible says uh, our attitude should be toward possessions and what God does for us. We talked a little bit about people who are poor and in, in bad health and, and seed faith and we talked a little bit, too, about how the apostles were not rich and how uh, the Bible says that they got, went around hungry and thirsty and rags, brutally treated and homeless. Uh, what we didn't say is that we, traditionally a lot of these apostles were crucified upside down. I mean, their life simply wasn't all riches and, and personal glory. And we think, too, of our, our Savior, um, Luke chapter 9, verse 58 tells us, And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I don't know if some of you listening are homeless, but Jesus was essentially homeless on, on this earth. He wasn't out trying to get rich and live for material possessions. On the other hand, the prosperity movement today, the prosperity gospel, finds proponents doing things like amassing hundreds of millions of dollars in net worth, buying up multi-numbers of homes that cost millions of dollars, buying private jets and private airports, and doing it all in the name of serving God. I think Judgment Day is going to be an eye-opener for a lot of folks. 
Well, <clears throat> I want to share with you a scripture here from 1 Timothy. Pete, would you read chapter 6, verses 3 to 5? And we've kind of been forewarned that some of this would, would occur. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. That's scary. The Bible, there were people in Bible times that were doing this, and this is before the age of televangelism, and uh, all the modern things that we see being used to further the prosperity gospel. Um, interesting, talking about these people being depraved in mind, deprived of the truth, who imagine godliness as a means of gain. Uh, that's uh, false pretense as far as I'm concerned. I don't think God appreciates, to put it lightly, his name, his cause, his purpose being used as a means of gain for personal individuals interested in serving themselves. And you know, Mick, this reminds me of what uh, can be read about in Acts chapter 8. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but there was a person named Simon the Sorcerer who thought that he could pay the apostles to be given the gift of being able to... Um, heal people and things like that. And, and Peter basically said to him, you know, may you perish with your money because this is not something that can be bought. Yeah, and I was thinking too that uh, if you look far enough into the way this is abused uh, out there in the world today, you find, you find churches and preachers going so far as to sell prayer cloths and healing cloths for $29.95. You think you can buy that from the Lord, it's it's completely uh, misdirected. Um, when they give people that false hope, yeah, and then they, when they're not healed, it comes crashing down on them, and then they are discouraged, and some walk away from the faith, or yeah. they live in this thing where I just don't have enough faith, or maybe I'm not a Christian, and so they might be amassing wealth, and that might be doing something that's good for them. But they are hurting people in the process, and God certainly doesn't promote that. Yeah, there's a flip side, and I think you're right that the abuse of this uh, principle drives people away. If, they, if the people affected by this are clinging to the principle that God owes them something, and by not getting it, they've got it wrong, or they have a lack of faith, they may give up on God, which is an absolute worst thing mm -hmm. uh, that they could do. Uh, Paul told us to be content with what we have, and uh, we can't take anything out of the world. And he says, if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. And uh, Vicki, would you share with us uh, a nice summary statement on what the Scripture says about our attitude toward money? This is from Hebrews 13.5. It says, Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What a wonderful thing, you know. We've already talked about gold and silver being perishable, uh, how we don't take things with us beyond this life in terms of material 
possessions. But if Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us, that applies to both now and it applies to eternity. Mm -hmm. And what more do we need? But our focus should be on serving the one who made those promises to us. Now, um, as we take a look at prosperity in summary here, I want to reiterate that when the Bible talks about prosperity, it's not carving out the item of money, of riches. It's talking about prosperity in a more holistic sense. God wants us well and happy across the board. We don't carve out things like saying God will restore to you hundredfold in terms of I, there is a scripture that talks about this in terms of homes and brothers and sisters and money. Why would you carve out and say he'll bless you a hundred times over with money when it's used in the same scriptures as brothers and sisters and mothers? <laughs> Should we expect him to give us a hundred mothers? No, we, we need to look at this in its holistic sense. And we're going to take a look at some scriptures here as we finish our discussion and some of these come from the Old Testament. And uh, Vicki, I've asked you to share from the book of Joshua, chapter 1 and verse 8. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Yeah, interesting there. Uh, our focus should be meditating upon God's Word. Uh, and not just once a day, but meditate on it uh, day and night so that we can do everything written in it. I think we've often uh, said that we can't, we can't keep the law to the letter. Jesus came uh, to fulfill the law. But the focus of this is to have our attention on Scripture, to meditate upon it, and consistently. And it says, then you will be prosperous and successful. And I'm not saying... We're presenting that to you as a formula, but it's the characteristic of our life that will lead to God's blessing us in a, in a holistic way. Then we will be prosperous and successful. Pete, would you share with us First Chronicles chapter 22 and verse 13? What does the word say about prosperity? Then you will prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and the ordinances which the Lord commanded Moses concerning Israel. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear, nor be dismayed. So what can we say about uh, being told we will prosper then? Again, it's, it's obedience, isn't it? Yes, and again, as you said, it's not something that is just financial. I think um, we can usually figure out that our needs might be met, um, but at the same time, even people could be starving, like Paul was saying, without food, without clothing. But in the sense of our salvation, that is the ultimate goal. Yeah. Now, the next three that uh, we want to take a look at have the very same thing. And we'll let that uh, speak for itself and point it out as we go. I'm going to share with you Second Chronicles chapter 26 and verse 5. He continued to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding through the vision of God. And listen to this now. As long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. That doesn't mean that he was rewarded with great riches, gold, 
and silver and possessions. But he says, the word says, as long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. And I think you'll see a recurring theme here as Vicki shares with the Second Chronicles from chapter 31, verse 21. Every work which he began in the service of the house of God, in law and in commandment, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. Again, linking prosperity to what? Linking it to seeking God. And I believe when the Lord looks at our hearts and the way we uh, want to serve him and, and endeavor to serve him, he sees us seeking him. And I believe the scriptures are telling us, even out of the Old Testament here, that if we seek him with all of our heart, that uh, he is going to prosper us, not specifically, again, with finances and money. You know, Mick, uh, we know from the scriptures that God wants us to ask for the things that we need. And he, you know, it's part of the Lord's prayer. You know, and uh, but I think that, and I, I just believe I know, I can honestly say that I know that he wants us to pray for spiritual things, mm-hmm. you know, to pray for wisdom. Uh, you know, I think of the scripture, the fruit of the Spirit is so great to pray uh, from uh, Galatians chapter 5. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, mm-hmm. faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I, I memorized that scripture years ago, and I often pray that. I want to love like God loves. I want the joy and peace in my life. And you know what? I better be praying for patience if I don't have it. I just believe in that. I'm not saying I don't. I'm saying I believe in that, that those things that we need, we should pray for. Speaking of the, or thinking of the spiritual aspect of things, praying for, to be closer to God, praying for those things, those are the things I want to prosper in. I trust God to to, uh, uh, provide for me, not that I can't pray for things and ask for things, but mostly I'm more concerned with what I can gain to be closer to the Lord. And I just wrote this down, you know, that I think that believers should be more concerned about who we are and not what we have. Right. And, you know, even when the Bible touches on Christians praying for things, I think it's in James that says, you have not because you ask not, because when you pray, you're asking with the wrong motives. In other words, he's saying uh, when you ask for things, you won't get them if they're not to serve God. Right. In if fact, you're not I believe to serve me. He even says there, because you spend what you get on your pleasures. He actually goes on to say that in that passage. Right. And so uh, I agree with Vicki that uh, God's going to meet our needs. And the verse that we're going to close with in Matthew talks about this, but it's in response to, to uh, our seeking God his kingdom and his righteousness. Matthew 6, verses 31 and 33 says, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And as Vicki pointed out, when we're seeking his kingdom, the spiritual things, and his righteousness, the spiritual things, then don't worry about the material things. If we've got our priorities in order, mm-hmm. God's going to meet our need to live in this life. Yes, it's all about our attitude. It's about what's the most important, as you said, Mick. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I can't help but wanting to add the words, 
hallelujah, hallelujah, because that's the way the old song goes. <laughs> sure. But Mick, I do appreciate all of the work that you put into um, preparing this particular study for us. Anytime it goes into two different sessions, that means you've done double the work. Uh, Vicki Cundiff has been with us as well. Vicki, you have added some wonderful, wonderful insights and kind of helped things to flow the way that they needed to flow in this. Otherwise, we might have been doing about 12 spots on this. So for Mick and for Vicki, this is Pete Vecchi, and it has been my pleasure to be with you today for Reconciling Grace. May God bless you. Lord willing, we'll see you next time. This has been Reconciling Grace. Join us again next time as our panel discusses biblical truths centered around the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ.